I've wanted for a long time to have someone on the show to talk to us about the idea of gamification in learning. If you are aware of the increasing use of technology, you're perhaps also aware of the creep of language around technology into learning and development, terms like micro-learning and branching scenarios and serious gaming. All of this stuff is stuff that your clients might talk to you about because they're interested in how you can make your training programs, coaching, facilitation workshops more interactive, more engaging, and more up-to-date. And the name Carl Cup keeps coming up. People have said to me, you've got to have Carl on the show. There's someone who knows all about gamification and immersive learning and alternative reality and augmented reality, particularly in the context of training and development, learning and development, then Carl is the guy. So it's my pleasure today to have Carl Kopp on the show. We're going to go through a couple of things, specifically five key terms to know about gamification in learning. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Welcome to the show. My name is Mark. It's my pleasure every Thursday, without fail, to have an episode of this The Training Business Podcast ready for you on your platform of choice. Whether you're a listener to us today from Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or something else, welcome. If this is your first time here, well, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Mark, as I said, and every single Thursday without fail, I aim to bring an episode of the show to people like you, for people like you and I, because I'm in your shoes. I'm someone who has his own business, working with my own clients, direct and indirect. I work with other people's clients as well, as an associate trainer and coach. But I'm also, just like you, building my brand. And what I'm talking about is the stuff that interests me and I think interests many of us out there in the training business community. So the goal really is to help you wherever you are on that business journey, whether it's starting, thinking of starting, or scaling and growing your business. And every Thursday, for that reason, we have an episode of the show to help you on some part of that journey, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales. And my goal every week is to bring you either an episode where it's just you and I, or we have a guest on the show, which is the case again this week. And my guest, as I said before the music, is the expert on gamification and learning. His name is Carl Kopp, and he's speaking to us live today from the States. Carl, hi, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, the reason uh, you're speaking to me today from the States um, is because you are the person whose name keeps coming up when it comes to the topic of gamification and technology in the context of learning. So the object of today, I think, is to give people um, enough to be dangerous. We're never going to know as much as you do, but uh, you know, what does someone like me or my listeners who are probably people like me who uh, train people for a living, we coach, we facilitate, and we want to know enough to know what's going on, what's changing, what's new, and what kinds of technology we should be integrating into our training and, and you know coaching and, and why it's important. So what we can do today is talk about, uh, first of all, your background, your expertise, you're a recognized um, expert on the subject of gamification 
of learning and instruction. In fact, that neatly is the title of one of your books. So what is in that book and, and what do people get from reading that book? It is. So the, the book, um, so started out, a lot of people, I was trying to, with online learning, figure out how to make online learning more engaging and more interesting. And I was trying to express the idea of using, you know, I wanted to make it more game-like, but not turn it into a game. I wanted to make it more engaging. And everybody's like, well, we don't create games in instructional design. You know, we, we create learning. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, but can't we use parts of games? And so I kept struggling with this concept, but I, I wasn't articulating it very well. And then I found online this term gamification, which started in marketing, which was using parts and pieces and bits of games to engage and motivate people. And I thought, that's perfect. That's what I'm talking about. We don't need to create a full-fledged game, but couldn't we use elements of games to make the training more engaging? And back then, the elements that they were talking about were Sometimes we call this the evil trifecta of gamification, you know, points, badges, and leaderboards, very extrinsically motivating. Um, and a lot of games have those, but nobody plays a game just to score points. You play a game to overcome challenges. You play a game to find out what happens in the story of the game. You play a game so you can outwit your opponents and your friends. And so I started getting really into the topic of, of what I call deeper gamification, which is going beyond points, badges, and leaderboards, which can have some effect depending on how you implement those, and then adding those to learning or to engagement or to draw people into the concepts and ideas that you're trying to present to them. And so that's really kind of how the whole idea started. If we then pause for a moment and say, you know, to people listening, what is the definition of gamification? It, it sounds like it's fun. It sounds like it's engaging. I mean, as an expert on the subject, how would you define gamification? That's a great question. So one of the things I think that is misinterpreted oftentimes is that gamification means it has to feel like a game or look like a game. But gamification is using techniques from games. So, so a really good example is a progress bar. So LinkedIn, way back when they first started, wanted people to fill out the uh, LinkedIn profiles. And people were filling them out, but not completely. And they simply put a progress bar on the profile, and completions improved by over 30% people were completing their profiles. So the idea of gamification is to use game elements, techniques, and aesthetics to drive, motivate, and engage people to learn and solve problems. So that's really a, in kind of a nutshell. But one of the things that I would say in a casual conversation is don't confuse elements of games with looking like a game. So letting somebody know, for example, is very simple, but how far they've progressed through the learning can be a really important thing that sometimes we leave out, including storytelling in the design of your instruction is an element of gamification that sometimes is left out. Giving positive feedback loops is another element in gamification that that's left out or using um what I call open loops. So one of the things that a lot of people do when they create instruction is they start instruction out with a learning objective. 
Today, you are going to learn three ways to become a better salesperson. Well, what does a good salesperson say? I know four ways of being a better salesperson. This is a waste of my time, right? So what if you did something like, do you know the number one way sales are closed in our organization? Stay tuned. Okay, so maybe I know that and maybe I don't, but now you've got my curiosity because you've created this open loop. And so one of the things that I, I think a lot of people mistake gamification for is that it's a technology, that we have to buy the system, that we have to buy this tool. But to me, it's more of a set of design affordances that we can implement into the design of our instruction. And sometimes it's enhanced through technology, but sometimes it's just the way we design the instruction that makes it more engaging and uses those game elements to draw us in and propel us through the content. So in other words, we, we could use technology, but the key thing to keep in mind is that it's a principle. It's, it's, it's using uh, almost different techniques to make people more engaged, more willing to interact and to maybe to retain the instruction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you, you know, we like to, especially in training and development, sometimes we like to go to the shiny objects, the technology, but, uh, you could use, uh, I do a, a presentation with PowerPoint and I do this whole story and this whole interactive thing. And it's a very uh, engaging um, process, not because of its PowerPoint, but because of the way that it's designed. Right. So we could uh, use something like Mentimeter. We could use some element of animation in PowerPoint. As you mentioned, we could use all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be a dedicated a piece of technology, a freestanding technology. We'll come to that um, momentarily because uh, there's lots we can talk about today. So we're, we're giving people some terms which will help them on this journey of knowing what gamification of learning is and how it um, affects what we do when we're training. I think a lot of people are bored these days of just uh, chalk and talk, right? The idea of, of a series of slides. We really have to be upping our game as training providers and thinking of ways to use technology, but also the principle of gamification to make people were training often remotely, increasingly remotely, and make them more likely to to listen, to pay attention, and to engage. The next thing is serious games. Now, I heard this being used uh, by a big Swedish company that works with um, some car manufacturers. So I, I was a bit intimidated by this phrase. It, it even sounds serious. What exactly is, is serious gaming? So I, I think it's so fascinating. So, so. Uh, in modern memory, serious games was uh, a term around 2000 when video games started to become um, more ubiquitous, easier to create. And the term was created back then supposedly to differentiate uh, games for fun or entertainment versus games for more serious outcomes, for example, teaching changing social behaviors, getting people to think about social issues and concepts. But the truth of the matter is the whole idea of using games for serious outcomes is very, very old. In the 1970s, there was a book written by a gentleman named um, Clark Abbott, ABT, literally titled Serious Games. And if you go back even further to the 1600s, uh, was the creation of something called Craigspell, which in Prussia 
was a game to teach um, soldiers how to strategize and think about war movements. And before that, there's some discussion that chess is an actual abstraction of the elements of war. And so if I think there's nothing more serious human endeavor than war. Uh, it's a negative endeavor, but it's, it's a serious endeavor because lives are at stake. And so people have been using games for strategizing serious outcomes probably since humans have been on Earth. And so the idea uh, – and this is fascinating to me because in the States – in the late 60s and early 70s, um, I, I got really fascinated with, with games and the history. So I went back and got some old library books. And one of the books said something like, yeah, it's such a fad today. You go into any boardroom and there's a game. You know, um, people are just doing that. You know, they're not really trying to learn. They're just trying to be fashionable. Like, like gaming, like Lego, isn't it? Lego serious play. Exactly, exactly. And the interesting thing was then in the States in like the 80s and 90s, games became, I always joke, they became a four-letter word. Corporations didn't want to touch games, not for learning. You have to be very serious. A lot of corporate learning structures were university, modeled after the universities. Um, and now games are coming back because games can, serious games can allow us to teach, or, uh, I'm sorry, think in nonlinear ways allow us to think outside of the normal way that we think and allow us to predict and um, forecast potential eventualities. So, um, for example, BP had a game back in the 70s, uh, and one of the game elements was an oil rig blowing up in the Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> which exactly happened. But imagine if people have – executives have been playing that game or at least role-played through that game, and then they would – they would when it happened, they wouldn't be shocked. Like Because what happens oftentimes is when a, a major issue happens, people spend a lot of time processing what they think was the unthinkable. Like, oh, I – an oil rig would never blow up in the Gulf. That just wouldn't happen. And so a lot of the disaster responses are delayed because people are like, that would never happen. So that, now what happens? And you've got to get your head wrapped around it. Um, but if you, if you practice for that eventuality with a serious game, then you're prepared. You know what to do. You've thought through the issue. You're not, you're not caught flat-footed. You can think in a non-linear, oh, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do that. Um, so, so serious games have been used for quite some time to prepare people to react and to be proactive around the concept of serious situations. And in fact, a really interesting story in World War II there's some question of whether or not this is a true story or not, but there was a, a young group of women who were um, wargaming sea battles uh, in uh, the Pacific and in the Atlantic, especially against German U-boats. And um, this woman apparently figured out how the German U-boats were working. So the thought was, prevailing thought was, the German U-boats were outside of the convoy shooting in torpedoes. And she figured out, no, what the German U-boats were doing is they were surfacing in the middle of the convoy, shooting torpedoes and then disappearing. And this admiral uh, from the UK didn't believe her, 
that she had figured this out, didn't believe she could beat him in a war game. And so they brought him against her and she beat him like five out of six times or something like that. So I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it kind of shows the idea of how a war gaming situation can help you problem solve and figure things out. So now apply that to business. Now apply that to working with competitors. Now apply that to leadership in an organization. And all of a sudden, you have this great toolkit that you didn't have before. So it could be the case that to your client, people listening to this might have heard the term serious games, and they're thinking, what is that? And what has that got to do with training? It sounds like it's a way to bring particular scenarios to life so that people get used to responding to them. Uh, leadership comes to mind. I know, for example, it's been used in corporate boardrooms uh, to deal with um, some outcomes aligned with strategy. It's been used by sales teams. So if you hear that term being used, it doesn't mean literally, you know, playing. Uh, Lego is an example of serious play, but that, that's perhaps too playful. We're talking about some element of using uh, gamification to enact scenarios in which people can learn outcomes and how to respond. Is that fair to say? Exactly. Like it's not Monopoly. So so I did a serious game once. It was a board game and there were nine people playing and we divided them into three subgroups. One subgroup was sales and operations. One was customer support and one was um, uh, 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 marketing. And uh, they each got these scenarios. We were teaching them how to think at the enterprise level instead of at the uh, departmental level. And it was played over three days, and each day there was a series of scenarios, and then whatever you picked had consequences, both short-term and long-term. So the game added the element of competition, which uh, definitely puts people on higher alert than just telling them something. And then they could visibly see the consequences of their decisions. And then they could also see the long and short-term results. So, so that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a form-fit experience designed to highlight certain business concepts and ideas that either play out short-term and or long-term. Okay, so so far we've covered two terms. Gamification, that's a universal term. It's the idea of uh, bringing the principles of, um, I would say, different, well, different areas of, of, of psychology to enable people to think differently, interact and to increase engagement. Serious games could be used in the context, as we said, leadership, um, bringing to life different scenarios. The term scenario is part of our next uh, topic, which is branching scenarios. Um, what what are branching scenarios and how would someone in training use those? Yeah. That, so, so the idea of a branching scenario is oftentimes there's a business case that you're teaching people about uh, what would happen if you did this or, or you did that? Harvard's famous for using uh, business cases. And you describe to new people business situations. But what's missing with that particular tool is the feeling of commitment and conviction when you make a decision. And so what a branching scenario does is it presents the learner with several choices in a situation that they have to make, that they get to choose from. So you might say, uh, here's a situation where you're a manager and your employee, is, a good employee has been coming in late for the past five days. How would you address this with the employee? And then maybe there's three choices that you could choose. Based on the choice that you choose, it takes you down a certain branch. So you might choose a, a bad response, right? You fire the employee immediately because they're late and it's corporate policy. And then that branch may end up with losing business, 
the uh, the employee filing a lawsuit because they had a sick parent or or whatever and show really bad consequences. There might be another branch where you are answering correctly and you actually understand why the employee's late. You give them some some time or something and they actually become more productive. Or there's a scenario in the middle where you sort of do the right thing, but you don't do the right thing. And the, the idea is that it's giving you as the learner the opportunity to practice reacting to a certain situation in a safe and highly feedback-filled environment. So we could use this, for example, um, with a scenario in, say, customer service training. So someone is angry at a, uh, let's say, a a hospital front desk or a hotel desk, and someone being trained has to decide, based upon the scenario, which response to make. So it sounds like something we could use in Articulate or some uh, e-learning tool. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Articulate Storyline uses it. There's a bunch of tools. There's one called Branch Tracker. Adobe Captivate does it. Um, iSpring. So there's a lot of different tools that allow you to go through a branching process. And the idea, again, again, it, it's not the tool as much as it's the design affordance. And the, and the affordance is you're showing a learner decisions. The learner has to make a decision and then the learner experiences the consequence of their decision, either positive or negative. And then you as the designer decide, well, am I going to give them realistic feedback? So for example, the customer never comes back or are you going to do a pop-up dialogue window and say, no, this was incorrect because of the following. The idea behind the branching scenario is you're going to give the learner the same visual and audio and speech cues that they would get in the actual situation. So when they're in an actual situation, then they can go, oh, okay, I know what to do here because I've, I've kind of been here before. And that's um, the idea. It, it's that idea of practice and rehearsal of skills so that, that they can be applied seamlessly in the actual situation. So quite often used in soft skills training, uh, customer service training, maybe some perhaps compliance training as well. If I, I think back to my work history, when I was learning and development manager for a company in Dublin, uh, in the first three weeks, I had to go through compliance training and that was full of branching scenarios, particularly in the context of say money laundering or, uh, you know, to testing your, uh, behavior in accordance with, um, company policies. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and it's based on some research actually shows that that one of the differentiators between experts and novices is that experts have a lots of situations that they pull from when they're in a similar situation. So the idea is we're vicariously implanting these situations into people, not quite like the matrix, but uh, implanting them into people, and then they can apply that when they need to. So no red pill, blue pill here, hopefully. No, unfortunately. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We're almost actually going into that territory now because the next thing, we're kind of going from normal to uh, slightly esoteric or strange technologies. This thing, of course, thanks to uh, Mark Zuckerberg now, a word everyone's familiar with, is the metaverse. Now, it's still out there. It still is still, I think, really new territory for people. Why would someone in learning development want to know exactly what the metaverse is and What's this thing called immersive technology? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So, so the first thing is trying to define the metaverse is very slippery. 
So back in 1992, there was a guy named Neil Stevenson who wrote a book called Snow Crash, which is it's such a funny book. And he, he coined the term. The hero in that book is literally named Hero, H-I-R-O, Protagonist. That's the hero of the book, Hero Protagonist. That's his name, Hero Protagonist. That's his name, yes, yes. And, and we've decided to create a whole industry out of a guy who's named his lead character, Hero Protagonist. But anyway, <laughs> so. And the idea of, of, of metaverse isn't new either, because when I was in graduate school, we did these things called micro worlds, which were the same thing. But the idea basically, originally in Stevenson's was, was you go into this 3D virtual immersive world. You have headsets, you have goggles, and you walk into this digitally created world. Now, since Zuckerberg has named it, people have thrown in augmented reality, you know, so that's the heads up display you see when you're driving your car down the road or when you're watching a, a football game and they have a line on the field or they throw the score up on the field. People throw in blockchain tech, oh, it's built on a blockchain and it's filled with NFTs, these non-fungible tokens, which ba basically authenticated digital items. But the real fundamental idea is it's a 3D virtual immersive environment where you act and react as you would in the real environment. The advantage of that is that we can now do the training, for example, of a very dangerous situation in the safety of the metaverse. So if you think about maybe training first responders to come to a building that's on fire, and maybe the first responders are from one part of town, uh, the, the firefighters and the, the police officers are from another part of time. And so they don't always interact or work together with each other. And to get the actual fire trucks and the actual police cars and to find an abandoned building to burn could be very expensive. But if you did it virtually, you could have the learner, in this case, first responders, feel like they're actually there. No, if they point to the right, everybody knows, oh, go to the right. Or if the building blows up, everybody sees it blow up. So the idea is that you as the learner are there in that situation and you would act and react as you would in the actual situation, but in this case being very, very safe. Now, because the environment's virtual, we can do other kinds of things. So for example, we could shrink you down to the size of a molecule and you could witness how certain molecules, if you're a pharmaceutical sales rep, uh, interact with white blood cells in the human body and see firsthand how your product works. Or you could zoom out to the 30,000 foot level and look at the supply chain from the air and make implications or drill down into that area. So basically, it allows you to experience situations in a safe but highly realistic environment. One of the things about being in a classroom is you have a lot of cognitive overhead of, you know, you might learn a sales technique, but you're not in an office, you're not talking to a customer, you don't hear the sounds of the phone. So it's, it's, you're learning about making a sales call, but you're not in the environment where the sales call was made. If you transport into the virtual environment, into the metaverse, you can be sitting at a desk that looks like your client's desk. You can be hearing the phones. You could watch the client's body language. You could watch, um, if they start looking at their watch, you could see if they're looking out the window. You could look at, 
pictures on the desk and say, oh, you know, did your kid play football? You know, so you have lots of different visual and audio cues that being immersed in an environment gives you that watching a video or learning about it in the classroom doesn't quite get you into this situation. And I think for many people, uh, that's still way out there. Uh, the, the technology is still at the very beginning, but I can see how this is going to be something intrinsic to learning uh, in the years to come because it, it is literally immersive. When we say immersive, Carl, of course, we mean that literally we're in an artificial environment. It's uh, the, the sound isn't really in, in the real world. We've got some kind of headset on, which is taking over what we see, uh, what we hear. And so about six feet to my left, I have, um, an Oculus, uh, what is it? Oculus something or other. I haven't put the thing on in a while. Quest, Oculus Quest. Oculus yeah. Quest. That's the thing. And that's real gaming. And I've seen games used with, for example, let's say wine training or health training. Um, a project I was involved in the Middle East, uh, with British aerospace involved. Um, not, not the thing I was on, but the team I was with at the time, uh, it was leadership training for a military and, um, the other guys were involved in using this technology to train technicians on aircraft. So the aircraft isn't really there, but they're interacting with uh, objects as if they're there. Um, so that's, of course, uh, immersive. It's it's uh, virtual reality. And the last term today is augmented reality. Now, you, you touched upon that briefly. This sounds like the easier of the two because it's, uh, it's with us right now and... Um, I think you said the first time we spoke, this is perhaps more likely to be applicable in everyday situations than virtual reality. It is. I think uh, the, the, the barrier to virtual reality is that you, you literally are putting um, a fence up between you and reality. You know, you put on the goggles, you put on the ear, you're totally isolated. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Being in an office uh, of course, you can interact with other people, but being in an office, being totally isolated, not having your own eyes and your own ears uh, is a little scary, number one. Number two, uh, I, I think of like safety environments, right, where you wouldn't put that on. So now I've got to take somebody out of, let's say, their construction, take them off the construction site or out of anywhere, put them in this room and have that. Augmented reality where you project items and information on top of reality uh, is is already here in a lot of ways. If you've ever, if anyone's ever played the Pokemon Go game, that was augmented reality. You hold up your phone, and there's a Pokemon in your front yard. It's, they're not really there, but uh, you can see this digital representation. If you drive uh, or have rented a luxury car, the heads-up display on the windshield is virtual reality. A uh, number of years ago, Google Glass was all the rage and everybody's wearing Google Glass. And then it went away and everybody's like, oh, it failed. Nobody's ever going to use Google Glass. But it turns out that people found the right use for it for the time being, which and it's being used in a lot of different factories showing virtual pick lists. So you're hooked up to a computer that's hooked up to your glasses and it gives you heads up display what you need to collect and where it is on the floor. So you can very quickly go and get that material or, or items that you need uh, with, and both of your hands are free. Um, there's a really famous uh, BMW um, video 
that shows somebody put a, a mechanic putting on augmented reality and changing an air filter. And literally it projects the pieces and parts of the engine and how they have to be taken off with screwdrivers and wrenches and everything right in front of the uh, technician's view. And it's basically work instructions that are beamed on top of an actual engine. So virtual uh, reality kind of separates you from reality. Augmented reality actually takes reality and makes it a little bit better or a little clearer or provides instructions about what to do. And so I think because of the ubiquitous nature of um, smartphones, um, the technology that is coming to our glasses and even in contact lenses, that augmented reality is going to take off much more once they get all the technology kinks worked out much more than virtual reality. So gamification is the principle of literally bringing an element of interactivity, fun, um, variety, it sounds like, to, to different training scenarios, serious games linked, linked to things like leadership. It, it's, it's using the, the seriousness of everyday situations in, in business, for example, and, and, and gamifying it. Branching scenarios reflects the, the options that we can give people to make up their own pathway and to choose the choices they make. Uh, metaverse sounds like something that's still out there. Uh, but it's, it will, uh, increase in popularity. I think it was rushed actually because of Facebook's, um, rebranding. Who knows? That's one version of things I've heard. But the alternative reality, um, or augmented reality, I should say, that, that sounds like something we can see actually quite soon in the classroom, uh, increasingly in everyday life. In fact, with, with an overlay of technology on top of, uh, reality. Yes. Um, there's actually a, a tool, um, a number of tools to, to that you can uh, um, make 3D already. So it's not um, um, it, it's not far out there at all. And a lot of people use these tools. Zapper, Z-A-P-P-A-R, uh, is a tool that uh, is relatively simple to use. It has, a, I think, a free download. I don't have any affiliation with them at all. But um, you can actually uh, create an augmented reality experience rather quickly and, and rather easily. Um, so that's already here in a lot of ways. And there's also a number of uh, metaverse tools. So there's one called LearnBright. There's a pl place called VertWorld, uh, Decentraland, which is kind of a, a um, blockchain-enabled metaverse. I'm working with a company called Red Cat multiverse who's working on soft skills in the metaverse so there are forays into into that environment already it's just not very widespread okay and branching scenarios we come across when designing through tools like ispring or uh you mentioned articulate um and of course um loads of software in that direction serious games the, the one that jumps to my mind is um I guess, Lego Serious Play, that's my direct experience. Uh, are there others that you can mention with Serious Games? There are. So there's a, there's a game tool that I'm involved with called Enterprise Game Stack, and that uses actually digital card games for um, serious learning. Um, so there's a sales role play game, and uh, it's customized so you can make your own leadership role play games and, and things like that. Um, there's also, also, I don't want to get away from, uh, 
board games and, and physical card games, which are used for serious games. Um, so those are, are some games that, that are there as well. And, um, there's actually a really interesting, uh, game. Um, I'm trying to think of the name right now. Uh, I'm trying to think of the person's name. Um, but there's a couple, there's a couple, um, leadership. There's a place called Game Learn. Um, and Game Learn has, um, a number of serious games and even a little serious game marketplace where, uh, they have a 3D tool that you can make, create serious games, but they also have a place where you, people have created games and then you can go play them. Um, there's another company called, uh, Tricinium. And that company makes really an interesting, serious game around teaching calculus called Variance. So if uh, anybody has kids going through um, calculus, you know what a not a fun course that is. And um, they have made that into kind of a game environment. So really, there's a lot – there's more than ever – people who are striving to make serious games for companies and corporations. And um, that's only, I see that only growing. Yeah. I'm designing right now in conjunction with a, a colleague of mine, um, a, a three month sales coaching program for managers. And we have, we, we're talking just this morning over coffee. How can we gamify this? Because we need to get people engaged and, and feeling a sense of reward and accomplishment um, that, that's quite obvious. A, a previous guest, Florian Mück in Germany, uh, on the show about mm, three months ago, he actually designed his own board game. He, he's a trainer who teaches rhetoric, uh, you know, presentation skills using rhetoric, and he invented his own board game. So that's a really uh, clever way of, of differentiating yourself as a trainer in the marketplace, having your own game. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, good way. There's, there's a company called Focus Games. Um, in the UK, uh, a gentleman named Andy Yeoman does that. Um, and, uh, he's got a, he's creates those both digital and, and card and board games as well. Um, so there's a lot of, if you look around, you can start to find some really interesting applications and the tools. So th- there are companies like the, there's a company called the game crafter. There's a, another card game company. So if you have an idea and a little bit of artwork, you can send it to them. And th- they have everything from boxes to boards to pieces. So if you have an idea and you can get the artwork for it, you can literally have a very professional-looking game uh, really quickly. I love that. Things like flashcards are wonderful in, in, in people helping people to learn and, and to retain information um, quickly, particularly for things like certification and exams. We could have t- talked loads more about gamification uh, and the concept of gamification of learning and instruction. You've also a second book uh, called Book Play to Learn. Sorry, called Play to Learn, I should say. Um, I'll put those in the show notes. Finally, Carl, where would you like people to go to learn more about you and your writings? Yeah, so um, well, I've, I've done a, a so LinkedIn is a good place to to catch up with me. Um, also, um, I have my own uh, website uh, www.carlcop.com. And I, if you're interested in serious games at all, I started a new YouTube, um, uh, 
channel playlist called uh, the unofficial unauthorized history of learning games. <laughs> okay. And so I look at a bunch of different <laughs> learning games. Uh, some of them are, are off the cuff and some of them are uh, pretty deep dives, but uh, it's all kind of a little tongue in cheek. But what we try to do is take a serious game like uh, the Oregon trail or like the Craig spell and uh, figure out what the history of that game was, how it got started and then how we can use the lessons they learned in our own creation of games. And that's been a lot of fun. Uh, to do that series. Okay, so LinkedIn and your website and your YouTube channel. Yeah, that's probably, and uh, also on Twitter. So what I'll do is I'll pop those in the show notes um, and of course over at uh, trainingbusiness.com. Carl, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Thank you, Mark. A lot of fun. My huge thanks to Carl for taking time to speak with us this week on the Training Business Podcast. I hope you got loads from that. Carl mentioned quite a few links, and I'm going to share those with you in the show notes, specifically on the episode page for this week's episode over at trainingbusiness.com. That's www.trainingbusiness.com. If you've not yet subscribed, please take a moment now, pause your button on the device you're listening to the show on, and go over and click on subscribe. It costs nothing. It takes a couple of seconds, but it helps to tee up episodes of the show and let you know when they're out on your podcast platform of choice. And it also helps to spread the word because, as you can imagine, there are lots of great podcasts out there. I listen to them as well as you. And it helps to bring the show to the attention of other people who have not yet found the show. So can I ask you, therefore, to click on subscribe and tell other people about the show if there is something that you would like to have on the show in terms of a guest or a resource uh, something on the blog or even something on the podcast, then please let me know. You can reach out to me by email and my email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. I really want to hear from you to know what works for you, what you'd like more of, and of course, any feedback that you'd like to give me about the show. This is the show for you. It's for people like you and I. So let's make this something that you can influence. Email again, mark at trainingbusiness.com. There is without fail, without exception, no excuse, an episode next Thursday waiting for you on your podcast platform of choice. Until then, keep training, keep going. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.